Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Minimalists podcast. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn, and what you're about to hear is a live version of our podcast, which Ryan and I recorded a few months ago while we were on tour with our documentary, which is called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. We went to about 15 different cities, and this live recording happened at a doubleheader event in Chicago, Illinois, and we had some friends with us as well, the executive producers of our documentary, Jeff and Marla and Dave, who run a company called Spire. They're an amazing part of our team at The Minimalists. They handle a lot of our design and development work on our website, but they also helped immensely with this film and getting it out into the world. And so we brought them up on the stage and answered some questions, some audience questions about the film and about minimalism, decluttering, and and just a bunch of different things in front of this Chicago crowd. Uh, Speaking of our film, it's finally available online. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can do so over at minimalismfilm.com. Thank you so much to everyone who has supported this. Uh, Thanks to you, it's uh, right now the number one indie documentary of 2016. And people in over 100 countries have seen this film now, which just blows my mind. So uh, I was looking at at these numbers the other day and seeing people, uh, not just in the United States and Australia and Canada and the UK, which are some of the most popular countries for minimalism, but people in Saudi Arabia and Ethiopia and Latvia and Brazil and Argentina and Mexico, all of these different places across the world, more than 100 countries, this message is spreading. So thank you for sharing this message with your friends, your family, your loved ones in an effort to add value to their lives. I really hope you enjoy this live version of our podcast. And stay tuned after this episode, Sean is going to insert some listener comments from past episodes. Also, our next podcast episode, which Ryan and I recorded a while ago, we're going to put it in the feed in a couple weeks here. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to, to the podcast if you want to check out our next episode about criticism. But if you have a comment on criticism, how do you handle criticism We'd love to hear it from you, and we'd love to air it on our next episode. Just give us a call at 406-219-7839. Now, without further ado, here is a live version of our Ask the Minimalists podcast in front of a live audience in Chicago, Illinois, with Jeff, Marla, and Dave, and of course, Ryan and me answering your questions. Well, hello, Chicago. Welcome to a live version of the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And today we have some special guests with us, the folks from Spire. We have Dave, we have Jeff, and we have Marla. They're executive producers of the film, but they're also just an amazing part of the Minimalist team. Give them a round of applause, please. So you can ask whatever you want. I promise you will get an answer. We have 12 answers up here tonight, and, and one of them will be randomly chosen for your question. So feel free to, uh, to come on up 
and we'll uh, we'll answer your questions. Just give us your name and uh, whatever uh, whatever your question is. Sure, uh, Ryan. I'm curious about your hair care products. I'm thinking about in in integrating with my own. No, um, I think that my wife and I, Tiffany, we've heard the gospel. We are connected, but not, not really to the film necessarily, but helping out our parents and our relatives, those in our 60s and 70s. We see their homes, we see their junk, and it makes us scoff. And ethically, I don't know what to do. I don't want to press the issue too hard to make people feel uncomfortable, but yet and still, I feel that I need to do something. And I, I'm struggling at how to you know, reach our family and to do those things. And if you guys have any recommendations on how to connect with the older populations, the 60-sums, the 70-sums, that'd be awesome. Thank you. Certainly. Y you know, it's a very nice way to say, how do I force my parents to become minimalists? <laughs> right? No, I don't think that's his question, but, but quite often we, we do get similar questions to that. It usually has to do with, with people living together, where it's like, how do I force my significant other, who's a maximalist, to become a minimalist? And I'm like, well, you don't. That's, that's really not what you do. In fact, when I first introduced Ryan to minimalism, it wasn't through the actions. It wasn't the how-to. It wasn't, hey, Ryan, come over to my house. I can show you how I'm decluttering my closet. I never jumped up and said, look at me, you're be I'm, be I'm becoming a minimalist. I'm getting rid of all this stuff, and Ryan, you want to be my friend, you better become a minimalist too because you have a lot of junk. <laughs> no, the truth is that, that when he came to me and said, why the hell are you so happy? It was because he saw the benefits of, of minimalism. And people at work noticed too. You know, I was working 80 hours a week, 362 days a year. I, I was director of operations for 150 retail stores which I know is really ironic with the whole minimalism thing. And um, people at work started saying, hey, what's going on with you? You seem calmer. You seem less stressed. What the hell's going on? You seem so much happier. Tell me about what's going on. And, and when Ryan came to me and said, you know, why the hell are you so happy? I, that opened the door for minimalism for me. And, and I didn't even put that label on it because for some people, a label like that is really scary, right? For some people, it's like, oh, now I can finally identify this thing that I've been trying to use to simplify my life. For other people, it's like, it's a big turnoff. And, and, and so the, the idea with the film was, okay, minimalism we know is a scary title. How can we make it less scary, make it more approachable? And, and really showing people what the benefits are, I find, is, is the best way to do that. And so I would say start with the benefits and, and really starting with a question. How might your life be better with less? If you ask that question, it helps you understand what the benefits of minimalism are, uh, which is far more important than the how-to. It's the why-to portion. It gives you the leverage you need to actually do the how-to part. We all know instinctually how to declutter our closet, right? I mean, it's a relatively easy thing to do, how to declutter our homes, how to organize but we don't always know why we're doing that. What's the purpose behind it? So for me, it started with finances. I made really good money in the corporate world, but I spent even better money. And that equation just does not work. And so I had racked up throughout my 20s massive amounts of debt, six figures worth of debt. And so I realized that by regaining control of, of you know, the way I consume, I would spend less money and start to regain control of my finances, which means I could start paying off debt. 
But then all of these other benefits started peeking their head around the corner. Regaining control of my health. I used to weigh 80 pounds more than I weigh now. Regaining control of my relationships. I forsook the people closest to me because I was spending so much time with networking buddies and coworkers and, and relationships birthed out of convenience and proximity, but not the people who were really closest to me. So I was making more time for the people in my life. I just had more time in general for creativity or passion. I had time to contribute to the, the community in a different way than I ever had before. And so I, identifying what those benefits are, and they're different for everyone. You know, I have, I have a two and a half year old now, and you know, the benefits for her are gonna be appreciably different from you know, me, a 34 year old guy. And even the, the benefits for my 34 year old self are different from my 29 year old self or from my 45 year old self a decade from now. And so identifying those benefits help, it really helps people get the leverage they need to really get started. And then once you get started, it's about figuring out what actually adds value to your life. It's not about deprivation. It's about moving forward in a direction of, of consuming responsibly, consuming the things that do add value, getting rid of that which is superfluous. Just a quick addition to that. <laughs> um, I want to preface this with this I want to preface this with the fact that my parents are in the audience and <laughs> And they are not minimalists, which is okay. And I think that it's important not to force your values on other people. Um, to lead by example is, I think, the best. So. <laughs> well, I, I've found to be a minimalist, the easiest thing to do is just give your stuff to other people that are in your life. It's, it's so much easier. Just pa I, mean, I did that to Ryan at first. When I was first simplifying, he must have had 70 ties of mine that I was just handing off to him. So Howdy. How, did you, how did you find all the other minimalists and like the PhD people? Like all the, all the people that were in the documentary, how did you find them? So, so when we went out, what's your name, by the way? Honolly. Honolly? It's great to meet you. Thanks, thanks for asking that question. I appreciate it. <laughs> how did we find them, Ryan? Twitter. <laughs> no, we, uh, there were a lot of people who we looked up to um, and who we had relationships with, like Leo, like Joshua Becker. And, you know, um, to, to Josh's point, kind of what he was saying uh, in his answer to the previous question, we really wanted to choose people who we looked up to who did have this different flavor of minimalism and incorporate it into uh, the documentary. So right away, you know, I'm thinking like, all right, what minimalist uh, families are out there that, that we can incorporate into this? Because that's one question we would get all the time. And we still do. And, and we have a, you know, our answer used to be, well, you know, you really don't want, uh, you know, a, a, a single 35-year-old <laughs> single guy telling you what to do with your kids. <laughs> Um, and then we would like kind of recommend other things and uh, recommend Leo, recommend Joshua Becker. So it was it was kind of a no brainer to like get these guys in there. And then there were other people like uh, Sam Harris, who is a neuroscientist, who we really looked up to. And we did. I think we you started the conversation on Twitter with him. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was just a fan of his work and and didn't necessarily agree with all of his viewpoints and. And that's what I liked about, about this is we wanted to even put in some contrasting viewpoints. I don't agree with every viewpoint that's necessarily in the film. Um, Rick Hansen, when he talks about you know, money can buy happiness up to a certain point, I, I, I don't completely agree with that. I think it's more nuanced than, than that. I think, true, money doesn't buy happiness, but 
but neither does poverty. And, and, and so striking a balance, and I think an arbitrary number like $70,000 is uh, I I not necessarily accurate for, for most of us. Because um, I can tell you, I walked away from the corporate world and made about 10% of what I was making in the corporate world when I first walked away. And I had was <laughs> measurably happier almost immediately, but it was sustainable happiness as well. And it's because I stopped chasing happiness, right? Uh, and I think that's a distinction to make is if you're chasing, if you're trying to chase happiness, you should probably stop because, because the more we chase happiness, the farther away it gets. So when it was someone like Sam Harris and I said, well, well, well what's the science behind that? Because it's great that we have some, some anecdotal evidence here, but let's talk to some people who, who really know, you know our, the cognitive function, how our brain functions and, and try to apply that. So we found all these different people quite often from other people we interviewed. So you, call, so you saw uh, Colin Bevan in here and he mentioned the economist Julia Shore. Well, we went out and found her, and we interviewed her, and you know, read a bunch of books from, from these different people, and realized the, these different perspectives were necessary to really flesh out the story. Yeah, uh, Frank, the architect, uh, he was um, hosting the event that we had in Tucson, where you saw Josh and I up on the stage when we were sitting behind the table. He was uh, the guy hosting it for us, and afterwards he was like, man, you guys are like right up my alley, and started telling us how he was a minimalist architect. And uh, Matt Diavella, our director, was with us, and he was like, can we go to your house and like <laughs> interview you and, and film your house? And it just kind of worked out that way. So uh, we use a few different avenues, but uh, really happy with, with the different perspectives and diversity we, we got in the film. Okay, uh, my name's Tiffany. I'm married to Larry. <laughs> and Hi, uh, question personally about, I, I've, watched uh, a lot of the YouTube and followed things and Instagram and all of that, but I never found an answer to this question of why the move to Montana and how that relates to the minimalism journey and just, we lived in California for 10 years, we've been here for two years, and I really do think place and location, you know, really um, can impact lifestyle. So wondering, how that decision happened? Did you decide together? Did one of you go and the other move? And just personal question about that decision, especially because I saw that um, Dayton's your favorite city. So I'm wondering kind of what's that connection between the favorite city but not living in the favorite city? Sure. So. Yeah. Thank you. So we're, we're from Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the gym city. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I spent the first 31 years of my life there, and uh, absolutely love the city. But but also I also I also understand the the need for for variety in in life. So Ryan and I were on our, our first book tour, um, where you know occasion it was more of like a one on one meetup group, because we'd show up and two people would be there and we just have a conversation. We uh, never got shut out though. That's true. Yeah. We didn't. And, and, you know, eventually the crowds really swelled to upwards of six to eight people. And, <laughs> and so now this has been a really beautiful accident. So selling out a theater like this twice in one night was never something that we ever anticipated. In fact, this is the first time we've ever charged for events in, in our life. Um, we, we've always, our business model has always been to spend as much money as we have to go out and give out free hugs. We're, we're still figuring out the, the, the way to make profit off of that. Um, no, we were out. We, we had left Vancouver, B.C., 
And we had to, we were fi- it was the 33rd city on this tour when we were finally going back home to Dayton, Ohio. And we knew we had to drive through this big state called Montana. And I had never even thought about Montana. And so we're like, oh, we have to drive that through there. Okay, let's just get through today. And we woke up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And we just started driving through Montana. And it was cliche gorgeous. It was like, you have to use stock phrases from, from like Keats poems or something to, to describe this place. And, and so we were driving through there and it continued to get more gorgeous and to the point where it looked like an Abercrombie and Fitch ad. Like, like there are major brands who, who you know, use demographers and, and designers to curate the way that Montana just looks by itself. And we were, we were driving by, we were driving the I-90 and it's the first time in my life I've ever done a triple take. Uh, we're driving, and there's this waterfall, like a small waterfall on the side of the road. And there are six college kids who were skinny dipping, jumping from the, the, this rock platform into the waterfall. And, it, it, and right as I did this triple take, I shit you not, a bald eagle flew right overhead. <laughs> I'm from Dayton, Ohio. I've never seen a bald eagle in my life. I mean, the only thing more cliche if it was, would have had like a, a American flag in its talons or something. Uh, but and I just looked at Ryan. I'm like, man, we, we've got to come back out here at least some point. So we, we moved, and that was summer, which is the time to go to Montana. We moved back out there that following winter to write a book called Everything That Remains. And we moved to this cabin in the middle of nowhere on the side of a mountain. And let me tell you, chopping firewood like Thoreau in Montana winter when it's negative 28 degrees is fun for four minutes. <laughs> but we stayed out there for four months, wrote the first draft of this book, and we found ourselves once a week, once every other week, gravitating toward this, this uh, booming metropolis called Missoula, Montana. There's 70,000 people there, second largest city in, in the state, but uh, a lot of culture per capita. And... and we knew that that was the next place we wanted to go to on our journey. And I, I can't tell you that I will definitely stay there forever, but it's, it's the most gorgeous place I've ever been. Hi, Hi Katie. I actually have a two-part question. I have um, a three-part answer. Okay, great. Ready for it. Um, so the first question is, you did a really good job showing how you really have cleared so much out of your physical spaces at home. I'm curious, is there like one or two things that you gave away and you're like, oh shit, like I really need that? And you asked for it back? Like was it the one pair of underwear? You need eight <laughs> instead of seven. Um, curious just, you know, from your standpoint, if and what that happened and what it was. Um, my second question is, I am myself creating a documentary this year for the first time. And um, yeah, I applaud you, it's a fantastic film. And what's your advice for um, documentary filmmakers? I never even like consider myself a filmmaker until <laughs> um, I'll answer the first part. You tell her how to be a good filmmaker. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I haven't really like regretted anything I've, I've given away. I, I had a twinge uh, the beginning of this year. My, my mother, my grandmother, my two brothers, and my sister came out to uh, visit us in Missoula, Montana. Um, I've got a two-bedroom apartment. Um, it was like packed to the gills. It was it was crazy, um, and uh, I often like have people come through and visit. So it's it's not it wasn't that big of a deal. But I I didn't have like I realized like oh man I don't have like the the sheets and all the blankets and stuff like man and I got rid of some of those things. 
And uh, like I went to Josh and um, I went to his his girlfriend Bex and I was like, do you guys got like extra sheets and blankets I can use? And they're like, yeah, we sure do. So like they they totally hooked me up. So it was like a little bit of a twinge. Um, but then realized very quickly that that I could certainly find someone to like lend that stuff to me. Um, had another twinge. Uh, they were coming out. Um, I was like really excited to take my brother snowboarding. And I'm like talking to my mom. I'm like, you guys have snow gear. And she's like, no, we don't have any of that stuff. And uh, my girlfriend and I had just got new pairs of snow pants and had donated our old pairs. And I was like, crap, like I just got rid of two pairs of snow pants. Like that would have been perfect for my, you know, my sister and one of my brothers. And, uh, and I'm like, man, my, do, I, do I need to go to like, you know, the sporting goods store and buy a really cheap pair of snow pants and then hold on to them if, in case I need them. And, and I'm, I'm talking to Mariah about it. And uh, she's like, you know, I think, I think my mom's got some extra stuff. Like she, from when we were kids, like she's got some stuff there. And um, when, when we go down there and uh, when family visits, um, they always need stuff. And I think you might be able to borrow some stuff from them. So like sure enough, called them up. Um, we got one pair of snow pants, called some other friends up. My mom was able to find one in Ohio. So I have had these twinges where I was like, shit, I wish I didn't get rid of that. But very quickly found a substitute, found another way to kind of get past it. How to be a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> this is a good question. Um, none of us have done anything like this before, so this is all completely new. Um, we really, diving in, it is so important to have a team. A team of people can take different perspectives on things. These guys have had all the connections and set everything up as producers, uh, setting up all the interviews and whatnot. Matt, the director, he did. He was the editor. He shot. He he's super scrappy. We we did so much with six people that it's really just it's always going to be bigger than you anticipate, and it's going to take a lot more time. But the biggest thing that we learned was to show it to people. I mean, obviously, you're seeing it now. It's awesome. We love it, and we hope you loved it too. But this is not the first version of the film. We've had so many revisions. The very first version went over exceedingly well. The more people that saw it, the more we really saw it. We were missing just some key audiences, some key demographics, people who were just maybe not connecting with the film in the way that we hoped that they would. So we really went back. We had all this footage, just amazing stuff. And we just went back and rethought, you know, how can we address these issues that that we may have missed on the first go around. So really, I mean, the two things would be surround yourself with some people who you can really just truly rely on and trust to do a great job. And also really show this, show your work. Show your work and you're gonna get some great feedback. I just got the, the, the wrap up signal from Sean. We're gonna do one more question, but Dave has, you good? Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> All right, to the original question about pings of getting rid of stuff. Um, a couple years ago, I decided I was getting rid of all of my artwork that I'd done for the previous decade. It was on about 400 DVDs. And the first DVD, yes, there was like that a bit of pain. But then it was just so easy, and I realized the joy was in making it, not holding on to all this stuff, right? Like, just digital files at this point. I had already enjoyed making it and putting it into the world. I didn't need to hold on to it anymore. And uh, I think it's just taking that first step of just getting rid of some stuff. And it, it starts to 
become freeing, because I was just carrying these 400 DVDs around without a DVD player uh, <laughs> for like literally 12 years. I mean, it's ridiculous. So. We'll do one last question. Sean's told me to wrap up here. Uh, I'm Drew, first of all. Hi. <laughs> hey, Drew. And um, so you've conveyed your message through, you know, your blog, your books. Your, uh, now you've got a movie and the podcast. I was just wondering if um, you have any new ideas of, you know, more content you've been kicking around and, you know, not just platforms to convey that content, but just content in general. If you just have any uh, more ideas you've been tossing around. Yeah, so minimalism in 3D, <laughs> virtual reality minimalism. No, you know, it's interesting. I think it's, it's an interesting question because my answer right now would be appreciably different from what it was six years ago. I, wanted, uh, I initially started out writing fiction, so this whole nonfiction thing was you know, Ryan said, hey, we should start a website. We didn't even know it was, was called a blog at the time. Um, and, and we wanted to share you know, our story. And so I found out that nonfiction was appreciably different from, from fiction. And, and, but I, that's what I had written for a long time. And so I wanted to be an author. I wanted to write books. Books are the things I wanted to write. I enjoyed reading them. I wanted to write them. It was just books, books, books. And then Ryan's like, what about a website? Okay. It's not that different. Well, yeah, it actually was. But it was a different vehicle. But it still allowed me to write. And then we started using other vehicles. And I became, over time, vehicle agnostic, where social media was one way to communicate. The blog was one way to communicate. Email was a way to communicate. Uh, the podcast is a way to communicate. And now a documentary is, is the way to communicate. In the future, I'd love to do some different video work, some, maybe some video essays. Uh, we're also talking to some folks about doing uh, like an online web series for a TV show kind of thing, maybe a network TV show. I, I really don't know, but whatever it is, it needs, to, it needs to align with our values. And we tend to focus on only one project a year. So you know, in 2014, we went out on the road. We, do we donated a year of our lives, basically, 10 months, to go on a, that 100-city tour and uh, 119 events, eight countries. And last year, it was a year of contribution. We, we opened up a elementary school in Laos. We, we uh, funded a high school for a year. We, we did a bunch of uh, just projects to, to contribute to the world in, in, in a way. And then this year, it's to get this documentary out in the world, share this different perspective. And I can tell you, whatever we decide to do next year, whatever our focus is next year, is going to be deliberate. We're, we're going to make sure whatever we do is, is intentional. And the, it's not going to be perfect but we're going to absolutely put our best foot forward. So I know Sean is giving me the, the stare down right now. Uh, I, I want to thank, so first off, I want to thank a few people before, before we go. Um, I'll tell you right now, this is a lot of work and all the behind the scenes stuff. The man behind the minimalism is a guy named Sean Harding. He's the producer of our podcast. He edits our books. He, he does everything that we need him to do and so much more and we couldn't do this without him so let's give Sean Harding a round of applause <laughs> and how about the folks from Spire let's uh, let's yeah. thank them for being a part of this thank you so much um, and uh, oh I know Ryan wanted me uh, Raul is Raul here tonight if you can raise your hand. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So, so back in 2014, when we went on the road, people always ask us, how do I connect with supportive, open-minded people? And we always said, I don't know. <laughs> You're here for a day and then we're gone. Yes, but in, in 2014, we left behind 100 free local meetup groups. So we don't want anything from you, but if you're interested in connecting with open-minded, like-minded people, uh, supportive people, you can talk about minimalism, you can talk about relationships, you can, you can also be supportive to other people, you can contribute beyond yourself, which is really awesome. It's about 400 people here. I think it's one of our largest uh, minimalist.org uh, meetup groups. So you can just go to minimalist.org and click on, on Chicago and you can find your city here or there's a hundred other cities uh, as well. And you can connect with some open-minded people. They meet uh, once or twice a month, uh, generally it's twice a month here. And uh, what's that? At least twice a month here. So uh, overachiever. <laughs> Minimalist. And if, and if you go, um, the guys from Spire, uh, they go every once in a while to the meetups too. So so yeah, you could ask them more about how to create an awesome uh, documentary. <laughs> and uh, uh, we're on the road this, this month. We decided to do 12 and a half cities instead of 100 this time. And um, it's really expensive to tour like this. And, and especially we, we filmed a, a documentary with a $0 budget. Uh, and, and so we're out here on the road right now, and when we started the blog six years ago, uh, we didn't have any idea what to do, and there's a company called Bluehost that has helped us with our hosting for several years now, and uh, I, we, we reached out to them and said, hey, will you help us pay for some of the, the travel for this tour, and, and they said yes, so I'd like to thank them and give them a round of applause. They're one of the reasons we're here tonight. Most important, I want to thank you all for being here. You could be anywhere in the world. You decide to spend an evening with us, and we're so grateful. If you leave here with one message, I hope it's this. Love people and use things, because the opposite never works. We'll be out there with free hugs. See you soon. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Hi, my name is Brooke Ramsey. I just listened to your guys' podcast on stuff, and I found it really inspiring. And um, I had a little comment about one of the people who called in who really loved scrapbooking and had a hobby that consisted of a lot of things. And I kind of related to that a little bit. Um, one of my hobbies is crochet. I really love to crochet. And as I was downsizing my things, I was wondering, like, what to do with all of the yarn that I had left over. And a solution that I came to was that I first decluttered all of the yarn that I wasn't inspired by. First, like, the textures that I didn't like and uh, all of the colors that I didn't like. And then what was left, I used it to make, like, one gigantic blanket. And I had so much fun doing it. And it's a blanket that my partner and I, like, use and treasure. And it's one of the best summer blankets that you can have. So if you have a hobby that involves a lot of things that does legitimately bring you joy. Maybe downsize it as much as you can and then actively use those things to do the thing that makes you happy, especially if using it equals using it up and downsizing it. Hi, guys. This is Kylie. I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. Um, so I'm calling just with a comment. I'm listening to an episode and um, – you touch on gift-giving as a love language every so often, and particularly, um, I think Ryan said, 
or maybe it was Josh, I'm sorry, one of you said that gift giving as a love language is ridiculous or something like that. Um, personally, I agree. That's not a language that I speak in my relationships, but, um, you know, I, I hesitate to say something like that about the way that someone else wants to show affection. Uh, just a tip for some people who maybe that is a love language that they speak or that their partner speaks. Um, one thing that I do with my partner is um, if I know, maybe I know he, um, so currently he needs a new wallet, or if I just see something that I think he would like or appreciate, rather than buy it for him, I'll take a picture of it and send it to him or um, send him a link to the thing and say, hey, I saw this and I think you'd really like it. Um, you know, here's access to it. So, so then he has the option to think a little bit about it, you know, maybe spend 30 days and decide if it's something that would really add value to his life. Um, so my gift to him is really the attention that I'm paying and the fact that I'm thinking of him throughout the day um, or maybe the research and the time that I'm putting in to find those things for him, but I'm not spending money on a physical object that he may or may not want. Um, and he does the same thing for me, which is really great. And between the two of us, we get a lot of product research done. We, we really spend a lot of time thinking about the things we want to bring into our lives. Um, but we're we're doing it together as an activity and as a gift to one another. So hopefully that's helpful to um, to anyone that's struggling with that. Hi, my name is Elizabeth. My city is Oklahoma City. Uh, hey, Josh and Ryan. I wanted to respond to the caller in episode 14 to the woman who was frustrated with moving several times, cleaning out her apartment, and then accumulating things again every time. I wanted to say I have 100% experienced this. I moved to Germany with nothing. I accumulated, minimized, accumulated again. I moved to Oklahoma, minimized, accumulated again, and now I'm getting ready to move to Chicago, and I'm minimizing again. But I think finally this time I'm doing it in a measured and lasting way. I never found the advice of does this add value to my life really enough to stop my shopping habit. There's a constant carload of things coming into the apartment and another carload of things going to Goodwill. It's a lot of money and a lot of waste, and I just couldn't seem to really stop the spending habit. Uh, I could never really just be happy with what I had. I always said, of course, this is going to add value to my life. I'm going to upgrade X and Y, and I'm going to replace it with Z and A, and everything's going to be awesome. Uh, what I found that really stopped the shopping habit in a really concrete way was thanking my possessions for doing a good job. Uh, this is from the KonMari Method book, uh, The Art of Tidying, and is probably the most concrete piece of advice that I've given to so many of my friends who are frustrated with consumerism and purchasing and overdoing their credit card bills is if you appreciate what you have, then you won't be spending. And the way that I appreciated what I had was to say, physically say, thank you to my purse for holding my objects and say, thank you to my coat to, for keeping me warm. And once I started physically thanking my items, I finally felt that appreciation that everybody had been talking about but that I just didn't understand. Like, I finally, truly appreciate my items. I felt silly doing it at first, but this practice has 100% curbed my need to shop and consume. I am finally happy and satisfied with everything that I have. Every little thing you think that you need, every little thing 
everything that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear 